0: So you all can have a seat. Uh, kids, you are dismissed to the back right corner. Go find Miss Debbie and learn about Jesus this morning. And while they're doing that, I would like to invite uh, one of our elders and my good friend, Trevor Russell. Let's give him a round of applause. Thank you, Matt. There's lots of fears I had about coming in today. One of them uh, that I didn't anticipate would be that uh, Michael would turn the microphone on while I was singing, but uh, I'm glad he didn't. So, good morning, saints at Faith Church. Now, why did I call you saints? Why not greet you with the typical good morning, church family? Or good morning, friends and family? Or good morning, my beloved? I called you saints because it's the most accurate thing to call you. I called you saints because it's what and who you are. A biblical definition of saints is holy one, someone who is set apart for God's special purposes. Paul, when addressing the people in his letters, never uses the word Christian, always saints. And in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1, uh, he writes the letters to the exiles, to the foreigners, to the sojourners, to the outcasts, to the misfits, I often admit, sometimes as a Christian, I feel out of place. But, a few chapters later, Peter says this. You are a chosen race, a people of his own possessions, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into light to proclaim his excellencies, or perhaps we could say, to proclaim his glory. So I call you saint because that's what you are. God alone has made you one, and God alone, I pray, is making you into one as we speak. My name is Trevor. I'm one of the elders here at Faith Church. And uh, Derek asked me to lead us this morning in worshiping through teaching, teaching. I know Pastor Jake likes to get up here and talk about how stoked he is to be here. Uh, I'm a bit nervous, to be honest with you. But as I think of the numerous saints who wrestled through some of the work that God had laid out before them, which is a normal part of the Christian life, God will have work for us to do. As I think about them, I'm comforted in knowing that the God of the universe can get his message out, despite the lack of qualities that I might possess. Amen. Join me in prayer, Heavenly Father. If, if you counted our iniquities against us, who could stand before you? If a holy and perfect God never extended grace. Who as a sinner could produce one sermon that would be pleasing to you? But lucky for us, you're not that kind of God. You're a God of love. You are love. A God that loves to pour his grace out on the undeserving. A God that loves to reveal much of himself to us. Father, I pray for myself and for the gathering of saints now. We would so delight in standing under the waterfall of your amazing grace. Amen. Okay, we're wrapping up the uh, last part in our He Came series. It's our fourth week in the series, and I know that we missed last week, but um, anyway, uh, as we, it's been a great series as we look at the many reasons why Christ came, and the text for us today can be found in John. 638. John 638. I'm going to read that to right now. Uh, it's only one of many texts we'll be in today. But um, turn there in your Bible or your digital app. Okay. John 638. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, But the will of Him who sent me. So we know that Christ came for a variety of reasons, as we have learned in our series. And this week we see that He came to do the will of the Father. So, what is the will of God? I think there's two answers, and we will explore one today. The will of command, which is the Ten Commandments, just as an example, where God speaks or His word commands something of this. We have a certain level of control in this. You can either keep his command or you can break it. In God's will of command, we play an active role. And then there's the will of decree or sovereign will, which is the will we will be exploring. And I couldn't write that sentence any dorkier, here, but that's the way it came out. I believe you have little control in this. I actually believe you have zero control in this. God's ultimate will will be done. The overarching plan of the entire Bible is a plan of salvation. From the very moment that sin enters the world, God's plan A is set in motion. God knew all the way back in Genesis that salvation would be needed for his people. Jesus being the cornerstone, the key piece of it all. So let's look back at our text today and see if that rings true. I'm going to read a little bit deeper into John 6, 38, and I'm going to go all the way to 40. So, for I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that has been given to me, but raise it up on the last day. Verse 40, for this is the will of the Father that everyone who looks at the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and that will raise him up on the last day. Christ came to fulfill God's overarching salvation plan by being willfully submissive to the call. Why, though? Why send Christ the way he did? I expect some of our answers to be things like this. To save us from our sins. He came to gather lost sheep. Some may say he didn't just come to correct us of our bad behavior, but he came to make us righteous. And we know that Christ did come to do these things. But rather than ask why he came, perhaps the better question is to what ultimate end did God have in mind when he sent Christ? The great theologian Jonathan Edwards says this, it is manifest from Scripture that God's glory is the last end of the work and redemption by Jesus Christ. In other words, God's ultimate end for sending his Son to earth was to glorify himself. Verse 40 in our text today just begins to graze this idea. For this is the will of the Father, that, now underline, everyone who looks to the Son and believes him should have eternal life. God's will is that you would look at the sun, and see His extreme value, His worthiness, His righteousness, His glory. And Christ loves nothing more than to make God look like the most holy being in the universe. Simply put, God loves to glorify God. Derek preached a, a wonderful, doctrinally rich sermon on this nearly a year ago out of the Knowing God sermon series. The sermon was on God's independence. You can still find that in our audio library on the church website. It was preached November 15, 2020, I believe. In that sermon, he he highlights how God is set apart, how God is holy and deserving of worship, that God is not an egomaniac, but rather the only thing in the universe that's actually worth worship and praise. If God could delight in anything more than himself, that thing, that object, would be worthy of worship. But of course, there's nothing that fits this description. You shall have no other God before me, Exodus 23. God is relentless and self-exalting. The Bible demands that we praise and adore him. God cares immensely about his reputation, his righteousness, and his glory. The ultimate end of Christ coming to earth was to glorify the Father. This involved leading a perfect life. It involved establishing God's word. It involved bearing the sins of the world. It, for, it involved forgiving those who have turned from him. It involved shepherding those who turned to him. But in all those, the ultimate end was to give God the glory. We can find this affirmation all over Scripture. Let me give you a few. John 7, 17 through 18. Anyone who chooses to do the will of God will find out whether my teachings come from God or whether I speak on my own. Whoever speaks on their own does so to gain personal glory. But he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is a man of truth. There is nothing false about him. In his own words, Jesus admits to seek the glory of God who sent him. John 12, 28. Father, glorify your name. In which heaven responds, I have glorified it, and it will glorify it again. John 17, 4. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. Verse 5. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. God loves to glorify God. Now you might be saying, okay, Trev, I get it. Christ's ultimate purpose was to glorify the Father, but I'm just a little old sinner. Surely I'm not called to this. Our self-centered nature has trouble comprehending that salvation is not about us. It's about God. God. Salvation is about God and the demonstration of his glory. Psalm 79.9. Help us, O God, of our salvation. For the glory of your name, deliver us and atone us for our sins. The truth of the matter is this. You were not created to glorify you. You were not created for you. You were created to reflect God's glory. Isaiah 43.7 reads, Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. The purpose of your life is to bring God to glory. Ephesians 1.12. So that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. I admit that this is a constant battle of sin in my life. I want to make Trevor a bigger deal than what he is. I often search for my own glory. I search for the praise of others. I'm selfish. I'm prideful. I can be arrogant. And I need Christ every minute of my life. I need the Holy Spirit to constantly be working my life, revealing the wondrous riches of Christ. Because left alone, I'd walk out on Him. I need God to glorify God. I need the Spirit to show me the intrinsic value of Christ. And Christ to be on display showing me the holiness of God. I have to have scales removed from my eyes. Amen? Okay. Everyone still with me? God loves to glorify God. Jesus came for many reasons the ultimate reason being to glorify God. And you were not created for your, own, <clears throat> for your own satisfaction, but to bring glory to God. So, naturally you might be asking, how do I bring glory to God? And that's a great question. In the spirit of New Year's, I've made a list of ways that we can bring glory to God. But before I tell you what those are, I just want to throw this out there. This is not a legalistic way to be a better Christian or 10 easy steps to a better life. Or if I do this, Jesus and God will love me more. These are biblical examples of how a life that has been made new by Jesus expresses its love for God's grace that he pours out generously. I'm going to say that again. These are biblical examples of how a life that has been made new by Jesus expresses its love for God's grace that he pours out generously. I'll start with number 10 and end with number 1. And yes, there is a number 1. I believe there is one thing that brings God the most glory. Personal opinion, though. So, whether your New Year's resolutions include... Losing those 15 annoying pounds, or playing guitar, or learning a new language, or reading a book a month, or whatever it might be, I want to strongly encourage you to make strides in your walk with the Lord this year. Find ways to bring Him glory and honor. You were created for it. I think I speak on behalf of all the elders when I say I'd rather see you take five baby steps in holiness. Than watch you run a marathon for man. Two of the biggest downfalls in all of humanity are a lack of passion for God's holiness and a lack of passion for killing sin. I'll say it again. Two of the biggest downfalls in all of humanity, whether you're a believer or not, is a lack of passion for God's holiness and a lack of passion for killing sin. The better you know the one, the easier it is to kill the other. Number 10, praise him with your lips. My lips will glorify you, Psalm 63 3. Have you ever been around someone that is just a constant fountain of blessings? It's like they're never down, they're always up. There's two things about those people one, they're addicting, and two, they're annoying. But you, you can't stay mad at someone that's in constant worship. Neither does the Lord. He delights in that. Number nine, pray in the name of Jesus. Whatever you ask in my name, I will do so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. John 14, 13. Number eight, produce spiritual fruit. My Father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. Number seven, remain sexually pure. Flee from sexual immorality. Glorify God with your body, 1 Corinthians six eighteen and 20. Number six, seek the good of others. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul is discussing whether it's right for believers to eat meat offered to idols. And he frames this discussion in verse 24 when he says, No one is to seek his own good but the good of the other person. A few verses later, he closes the chapter with the very popular verse 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do everything for the glory of God. Seek the good of others for the glory of God. Number five, give generously. 2 Corinthians 9.13 They will glorify God for your obedient confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity. I love how this verse takes us right back to the cross when talking about generosity. God so loved the world that he gave. We've heard it several times here at Faith Church that you can't outgive God. He's the ultimate giver. Be like your father image bearers. Be generous. Number four, live honorably among the unbelievers. Conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles so that when they slander you as evildoers, they will observe your good works and will glorify God on the day he visits. That's 1 Peter 2.12. Jesus says, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Matthew 5.16. Number three, be faithful when persecuted. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in having that name. Oftentimes when we're persecuted, our first reaction is, I don't deserve this. I don't deserve to be treated like this. But... That's maybe a time to think about it. The mature Christian will respond with, I don't deserve to be treated like this. I don't deserve to resemble Christ in any way. When Peter was nearing his death and was uh, to be crucified, he asked him to crucify him upside down. He didn't find himself even worthy enough to suffer in the manner of Christ. The way you suffer brings God to Glory. Number two, face death with faith. Jesus predicted Peter's death and that he would glorify God in his death. That can be found in John 21, 19. Paul hoped Christ would be glorified in his death. We can show God to be great in the way we approach death because we know to live is Christ and to die is gain. When Billy Graham was nearing the end of his life, he said, in a while you will hear rumors that I've died. Don't believe him for a minute. Saint, death was defeated. We have a champion in Jesus' is his name. When we die, we blink, and then Jesus. That's what the death of a saint looks like. There's nothing to fear in that. Nothing but hope. Okay. Number one. Number one thing that you can do to bring God glory. Give your life to Christ. Just think about this. You were dead in your trespasses. Capital D-E-A-D. No pulse, no consciousness about Jesus. Ephesians is very black and white with the language here. You were dead, and then Christ injected you with life. You needed medicine, and he injected you with the revelation of himself. You were blind, and then you saw. I'm sorry, but you cannot rob him of this glory. You were lifeless and Christ made you alive spiritually. His sovereign will at full force on your life. The snake crusher's heel slamming down on death, creating everlasting life for you. There is nothing that brings glory to God more than that. There's no greater example of God's glory than the conversion of an unbeliever to a believer. Everything in front of the cross points to the cross. The entire Old Testament is begging for Christ. Jesus comes and performs the most God-glorifying task of his earthly ministry, which puts us in line with God, making all that was broken fixed making a way to even approach Him and be in relationship with Him. Nothing is more glorifying than the Spirit of God revealing the beauty of Christ, who is the physical, earthly image of God. Ask the Spirit to drop scales from your eyes. Ask to be brought in near. We cannot change our past, but friend, today you can change your eternal trajectory. C.S. Lewis says that you've never met a mere mortal. We're all headed somewhere. Ask Jesus to be Lord of your life. There's a day coming when every knee will bow and every tongue confess. And I am begging you, please join the saints in crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, the darkest day in humanity, your glory shined brighter than anything. Lord, I thank you for, uh, for writing this message. I thank you for uh, being with me. Lord, I pray that the saints here would be uh, strengthened and encouraged by it. Lord, may we go out and live lives that bring you honor and glory. May we live out our reef, our uh, created purpose. Lord, be with us now. Fill us with the Spirit. In your heavenly name, amen.